Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Skirmish Supremacy, episode something. I don't know, Tim forgot to tell me beforehand when he said, hey, you do the introduction. So joining me is our host, Tim. Say hi, Tim. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I said say hi. (laughs) And we also have Liz Hunt from Hobby Hangouts with us tonight. I almost totally forgot that. I've spent way too many hours in there, including some hours sleeping, so... Nothing wrong with that. Hi, everyone! <laughs> Anyways, tonight, we're just gonna sit around, we're gonna chat a little bit, we got a few different things we're gonna talk about, to include the Hobby Hangouts, because I've been having a fun time in there. Tim says I may be obsessed. <laughs> may Not be once right. did I say that. All I've said is that you guys do that shit way too damn late for me. so liz go ahead tell us about uh hobby hangouts all right well um the hobby hangouts is basically a place where um everyone who hobbies can come and be with like-minded people and get their hobby on um and it's done over google hangouts pretty simple to use um we are at i think almost 1200 members now um, and we just, whoever, um, is hosting a, a hangout, they just post it on the page and then you can just click to join. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much what the hobby hangout is. Sounds right. pretty straightforward. Pretty Absolutely. Straightforward. Lots of great people in there and go in. Actually, Liz has been changing the banner every day to tell you just who's going to be hosting hangouts that day. Yep. Sometimes I forget, so it's kind of late when it gets changed, but at least it gets changed. (laughs) It gets changed. Yep. And there's people from all different time zones, regions. Yeah, they're literally people from all over the world. Um, One of our hosts is from Australia. Um, We've got a whole bunch of people from the UK. Um, Some There's a guy from Malaysia. So, I mean, it's just, it's spread out throughout the entire world. Yeah. And you don't even have to be one of the official hosts to host a hobby hangout. Yep. Literally anyone can host. I host from time to time when I am not busy. Um, But we do have scheduled hosts, which are posted on the pinned, um, the pinned post on the page. All right, awesome. I Like I said, I've spent a lot of time in there. I've been assembling, I've been painting. Some of the hosts, they do topics. Uh, Roderick, last night, he's working on his Iron Painter stuff. So he talks about Iron Painter when he's on. Uh, Robert, I can't think of his last name right now. He Well, just before he had a kid, he was about to do some some tutorials on taking pictures, touching them up in Lightroom, and Mm -hmm. making them presentable to the world. So sometimes there's topics and all that. Like I said, I've had a lot of fun. I fell asleep in there one day because somebody was showing something at like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, ooh, I want to see this, but ooh, I'm really tired. And then somebody took a screenshot and drew a wiener on your face. (laughs) Yes. And then I woke up to wieners being drawn on my face. 
Aw. Well, I mean, it happens. You can't fall asleep. At least not with your camera on, because then people know. <laughs> exactly. Oh, they knew. They were laughing their asses <laughs> off. As I would have. Oh, I know. I, I When I woke up, I'm like, oh, why the hell did I fall? Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a great time. So, how can people get to Hobby Hangout? Um, it's literally www.facebook.com um, slash groups slash the Hobby Hangout. Awesome. And then just go on there and request to join, and either one or either me or one of the other admins will add you in. And Tim it- just dropped something. Yep. Actually, that's not uh, me. That's my cat scratching at the door, so I gotta go kick his ass for a second. (laughs) (laughs) The cat wants in. Let me Or out. out. No, he wants in. Aw. Not to worry, my dog decided, you know, like five seconds before we started recording that he wants to bark, so if you hear that in the background, um, I'm sorry, folks. I still haven't heard it. Awesome. So you're good. All right. So first up on some of the topics that we're going to talk about tonight, there was an article that came in, or Tim sent me. I shouldn't say came in, really. It's on N-World. And it says, why we need to pay what games are worth, not what they think we should cost, or what they should cost. So I'm actually going to let you two talk about this first. Um, the primary reason why is because I'm a bit biased on this working in the industry, so I would much rather hear it from you guys that are, I, I don't want to say consumers, because that makes it sound like all we care about is your damn money. It is. But uh, it, it is not. However, I, I think your perspective would be better appreciated on this before I give my two cents. All right, so the author starts out the, the, the article, and he's just talking about, hey, we all know people that are cheapskates, or cheapskates and you know want to get the books for free, stuff like that. I thought that's why I started a podcast, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he goes on to say, you know, when, when, you know, someone's setting their price or all that, they're not necessarily making their money back. And he gives a few kind of uh, examples. Writers having to start GoFundMe campaigns when something catastrophic happens in their life. Um, you know, and you know, there's there's three or four examples. And I think most people can come up with more of where they're just not making enough money. Something happens, an accident, cancer, or any other disease that just debilitates them. All of a sudden they, you know, they're left not making money because they're not working, because they're sick. And not enough money coming in from revenue, sales. So he goes on to, you know, give some examples of, you might have this book for... And twenty, 
30 years and use it and get hours upon hours of enjoyment out of it. So why shouldn't you be willing to pay 60, More. 70, 80, 100 dollars for this book? Now keep in mind for our listeners out there, N-World is pretty much meant for RPGs. So this is an RPG centric article. However, this can be applied across the industry as a whole. Right. Um and and yes, that, that's that's a good point. This is in reference to RPGs. The the thing I see with it personally as a consumer or non-industry person at least is that I I generally am willing to pay for the book. I I'm one of those people I don't mind paying for the book normally. I may wait a while. I may try and get it on sale. Depends on how much I want it. But Tim definitely knows that I have shiny syndrome, and I'm like, Ooh, this looks cool. <laughs> Don't we all? Like a raccoon sure on meth. We all do. <laughs> a raccoon on meth. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm kind of the same way. Um, I tend to spend a little bit more than what a lot of people spend on stuff. Um, Especially if it's something through like um, drive through RPG or something like that, I just I feel like being able to to pay um, to pay them more for what they've produced right. is better than like being like oh well I only want to pay five dollars for this fifty dollar book directly from from them like I just I feel like that's it's just not a good thing to do that right I understand actually uh there there's always those humble bundles and stuff like that where where you get a lot of stuff for relatively cheap yeah and I I have friends who who do humble bundle and they will they'll pledge like the least amount that they possibly can yep and, and I... oh sorry <laughs> which, which if that like if that's if that's what they want to do i mean i can't i can't say anything bad about that but personally i feel like i feel bad paying you know the the minimum amount yeah i agree i i usually pay a little bit more but then i have my buddy that goes oh you got all those pdfs can you shoot me a copy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think we know all those people. Now, yes, we do. <laughs> you know, I, I have certain friends, they basically amount to, I don't know, a crow. They, they just collect random shit and stuff, you know, books, game systems. Not that they'll ever actually play them, but they'll collect them and just keep them. You know, it... And so, you know, them, I don't know, you know, it, it's more, they're just kind of coming across it. It's, it has no real value to them. Right. And, you know, I don't know if I can, I can call them out on that either. You know, it's because they're not going out and sharing it with other people. But again, they're not, they're not trying to even play the system. They just, oh, hey, this looked neat and. Mm-hmm. I glanced at it once, and it's now sitting in the dusty corner of uh, the internet. Yeah. So th- the big question is: is how can you raise a price on something 
and and then you know make another product because that's what you see is here's the core book and then i write 10 more that all have stuff in it <clears throat> so if if the core book's a hundred dollars are people going to be willing to pay more for additional books Hmm. Look at D and D is one of the best examples. D and D, Pathfinder, uh, yeah. Rifts. Yeah, some of those books aren't cheap to begin with. You are paying a pretty good premium, and then they just keep racking up. You know, there's there's monster manuals one, two, three, four, five. I don't even know what they're up to now. There's a bunch. Yeah. And that that's just monster manuals. Then there's these characters, and then these characters, and these characters. If I'm paying $100, or even $50 for each of those books, after a certain point in time, I'm going to have to say, no, I just can't do it. Then yeah, again, but you, you still have w, those who will. You, like... you do. I mean, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> Just especially, well, not with D&D at least. Like, I, I have the books I need, and that's, like, all I need. I'm never going to DM, so I don't need to ever have any of those books. Blasphemy. I know. <laughs> I'm Me and DMing just do not go together. Um, But, but you have people who do... You know, they do purchase all of the books and they, they do get used. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Um, just, just with more stuff, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. Well, in in a lot of ways, you know, and I was about to say it a second ago, you know, as I say, no Wizards of the Coast, I'm not going to buy all of your D and D books, but hello, Games Workshop. I do have a lot <clears throat> of their books. Most of them are uh-huh. in digital format. I even spent two hundred dollars or whatever it was when it came out for the Adeptus Mechanicus special edition rulebook when it came out. You know, because it was worth it to me to get the cool, neat, shiny book and all the stuff that came in it so yes there is a market for people who are going to do it but your average you've also got to look at you know basically your average income and the fact that you want new people to step in and start playing if your book's a hundred dollars and that's just the first one you need you're not going to get as many people playing That's part of why with not RPGs, and actually even with RPGs, because Pathfinder did it. You start seeing them putting out a, here's a starter box. Everything you need to start playing in a box with the rules, even if they're (laughs) abbreviated or small. But it at least gets people started playing the game. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, and I, I, I found this, actually I found this through Facebook when um, 
some people were getting a little not exactly happy with this person. Well, it more ended up being the article writer, but it's from Geek and Sundry, and it was artist releases 300 printable D&D miniature patterns for free. And now, the one thing that I saw that started causing ire for people is the fact that there's a whole bunch of Reaper miniatures right in the top picture. What it turns out is mm-hmm. that that top picture is actually from the author of the post. It's a collection from Critical Role of their miniatures that they use in their YouTube video games. Hmm. Now, the rest of the pictures are all credited with the uh, gentleman who spent a year and a half creating these 300 models that are now available for for sale. Or not sale. They aren't for sale. They're free. So this person went through all the monster manuals and made a model for each one of the creatures you can find in there. That is crazy. It is crazy. The interesting part is the fact that he released it for free. You can go onto his Shapeways, go into each individual. There isn't one big bundle of it, but go into each one of the the files and download the STL. And if I understand it correctly, he even has the blessing of Wizards of the Coast to do this. To do the wow. project, to take the art and make the models. I'm I'm still slightly like flabbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> These are really good too. They are. They're um I know that somebody was going through looking at the sculpts, an- another sculptor, and said they're they're good. They're not the highest quality, but especially when you're 3D printing them and all that, they're going to meet all of your, especially monster needs. Yeah. And so this do. guy literally created all of these, released them for free, and is is not getting anything from them. Exactly. With the blessings of Wizards of the Coast. With the blessings of Wizards of the Coast. Hmm. I wonder if they uh, they cast any spells to keep them awake. Because <laughs> 18 months and 300 models, that's, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it is. So, I, I find it interesting that on one hand we have somebody that's saying... You need to pay more for the books. You need to not be cheapskates. You need to, you know, support the the writers, the authors, the artists, which I totally get. And then on the other hand, you have a guy, and now granted, this was his spare time. He had something else that was making him money, but he spent 18 months as a labor of love and put something out. Look at that as um, Joey from This Is Not A Test. He's had his book out for a while for This Is Not A Test, along with some miniatures that he's had designed for the game, and he's been selling it for $25 for a digital version, and it just went through an extremely successful Kickstarter to start getting it published in a book form, you know, to get an actual hardcover out there. 
And this has all been a labor of love for him. He's making a little bit of money, but he's not making a whole lot. And especially not with the Kickstarter, with everything that he's got promised, he's not got a lot of extra money. So Right. I, Which I, is actually the difficult part of this entire So one of the big things that the original article talks about on N-World uh, is the fact that Again, it's not people paying more for the books. It's not like they're saying, hey, this monster manual is uh, 60 bucks. You should really be paying 70. What they're saying is that pay what the MSRP of that book is worth. So, and this could be, this could be taken across everything when it comes time to board games, miniatures, RPGs. If somebody's got a product and they give you an MSRP and you're used to, you know, bottom barrel discount shopping and that's what people are expecting to pay all the time is they, they just say i don't want to pay the full price on that i would much rather find it at a discount i understand this is america we could do whatever the hell we want we're always going to try to find the best deals however when that becomes the norm then what that means is that they're making less money off of a product that is a labor of love to them now one of the things that was brought up in the article that kind of irritated the shit out of me a little bit when reading it now i'm looking at this from the the aspects of a game designer i'm looking at this as the aspects of somebody who works in the industry and sees how much work that people put into you know not just designing the game but the logistics behind getting it printed getting it shipped where is it shipping from where's your warehouse how is the sales team selling it how is it being perceived in the market do i have to do advertising what kind of advertising do i have to do all these things are costs that add up over time and one of the things that irritated me in the article is people were saying, well, because it's a labor of love, you shouldn't, you know, it, there, there's this idea that because it's a labor of love, you don't need to make a living wage. Like you're already living the dream. Well, living the dream is great if you can pay your bills and support your family and exactly. everything else that you want to do outside of it. I mean, exactly. Liz, you said yourself you're a painter. Yeah. Okay. You're a commission painter. I am a commission painter. And I love doing it, but I could not live off of commission painting. I have a day job. That? Why is that? If you think about it, why is that? Because people aren't going to pay that much. I mean, I literally, I would have to, number one, they would have to pay more per model for me to paint. Number two, I literally would be painting all day all night like i i would probably hardly ever get sleep if i was trying to live off of commission painting right so you got to factor in the time it's going to take you to do all this yes and what you know and it comes down to the, that age-old question what is your time worth you know you have Apparently. you have bills yeah you, yes, you exactly. You have a house or an apartment. Mm-hmm. You love to paint. People love your work, but then they're not willing to pay you for it because they're saying, oh, well, you're living the dream. You're a commission painter. You get to paint yeah. models all day. I got to go to some shitty job somewhere that I hate, and then I'm going to yeah. sit there and try to haggle with you to get price down because I don't believe that what you're telling me of all the time it's going to take you to get those miniatures painted, your time not- is not worth it. Exactly. And unfortunately, that is this bottom this bottom barrel 
attitude is what is, in a way, killing the industry. There is a reason why Fantasy Flight did what they did by separating out retail uh, sellers and online you know, sellers. And everybody's all pissed off because of the fact that now they can't get their Fantasy Flight games at 50% off from you know, Joe Dickbag on the corner of the internet. They're all pissed mm-hmm. off about it because at the end of the day, they don't, they don't think they have to pay for this. They think this is a hobby. This is something that should come for free. You should just give me all of this stuff for as little money as possible, and I will just keep accruing shit. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Fantasy Flight, you know, if you take your commission painting and blow it up, let's say now you have 30 commission painters and mm-hmm. all the overhead, and you have to make sure that all your painters are paid. You always have to make sure that they're working. At that point, you're probably paying health insurance. You know, you're paying, you know, a, you're, you know, you're paying bills on a business license. You're, you're doing all of this stuff that goes behind it. Shipping logistics, everything that goes along with that, website maintenance, advertising in order to make sure that you get more business. That's all stuff that adds up and takes away from the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, if people are sitting there trying to haggle you down for half the price, you're already in the hole. Yep. So you also, you know, a lot of people also don't look at it from the standpoint that when when a distributor buys product, and I am not like giving anything away here. This isn't some industry secret. People should not be losing their shit over this. When a distributor buys product from a company, they're usually getting it at 60% off, selling it to a game store at 45% off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the game store themselves is, you know, if they charge full MSRP, so let's let's look at a $100 board game. They paid 45% off MSRP, right? So they paid $65 for that board game. For a $100 board game, they paid 65 So they're going to sell it to you, and they're going to make a $45 profit. Now, on top of that, they have to pay the bills. They got to keep the electricity going. Mm-hmm. They have to pay employees. They have to make sure that somewhere in there they get paid. You know, so take that and break it down into like $50 games, $25 games. They're getting them at 45% off. I don't know how people think that like because they found it on Amazon from some guy that like stole some shit off the back of a truck or whatever the case may be. They think that like that's the norm and that's the problem that's coming with the industry now is that people see these deep discounts and the fact that like they can go on Amazon and walk and have the balls to walk into a game store or walk over to, like, even the creator of the game at a convention and say, oh, I found this game on Amazon for 30 bucks. It's normally 90 Can I get it for 30 bucks? Think about what, think about what somebody would, think about what you would do if somebody said that to you about something you created. Like, you, you had a miniature. Let's say you're, that one miniature you painted really well, selling it for 100 bucks. I don't know what your rates are. But at the end of the day, they come up to you and say, oh, yeah, my buddy could paint it for 30 bucks. Same model. How about you paint it for me for 30? It's funny that you say that because I, I actually have had um, those comments before when I and tell how somebody how it? much I charge. And honestly, I don't charge that much. Like, number one, I'm a slow painter. So I typically don't charge by the hour. Um, but even if I was like $10 an hour, if it took me two hours to paint a model, which for me, that's just like unheard of. Um, I mean, that's, that's a $20 model for like 
a little better than tabletop quality. Um, but like I, I had one person who wanted me to paint like, I think it was like 17 models. And when I told them how much it was going to be, they were like, wow, that's, that's so, that's a lot of money. And I was like, well, yeah, you've got to think about this. This is my time, my paint. Like this, this is, you are paying for me to do this for you. And I'm taking time out of my day to do it. And basically what it boiled down to is that what my, my quality of my work wasn't worth what, um, what they thought they should pay or what I was asking for. So I have experience with this as well. Not in commission painting. Actually, not even in this hobby. But last year, I owned and ran a food truck for a short period of time. Still own it. Was was it tacos? It was barbecue, and I did. Oh, I love barbecue. And I did barbecue tacos out of it. Oh, <laughs> that sounds delicious. <laughs> they were pretty good. I ha- I had people coming up because it was also handmade corn tortillas. Oh, nice. Which was one of my big sticking points. I made all the sauces. I made all the rubs. I made everything fresh from scratch daily. So mm-hmm. at one point, my, my prices, you know, I'm like, okay, looking at the books because I've got insurance. I've got electricity. I've got water. I've got I've got all these things that you still have to pay when you run a food truck and then some because, you know, I've still got to pay for gas for generators while I'm out. I've still got... Just lots of little expenses. I'm like, all right, I've got to increase my uh, prices, not profits. I didn't make a dime, actually. But I've got to to increase my prices by about this much. And and so I did, and I I did a couple other things. And I had someone who had been showing up off and on, you know, in the, the few months that I had been open. And I had increased the prices, and so... When I charged him, because one of the other factors was I was giving out more food than what my original price costing took into account for. So, you know, that was a factor as well. You know, I'm giving you more food, need to charge you for that food, because each little thing, how much how much of the spice rub I put on there, that little cup of sauce that I give you, that mm-hmm. that side... That other side, that piece of bread that you ask for, every one of those little things just adds up. On top of that, when you do barbecue, when you do most any food, but barbecue is one of the big ones, you're losing about 25% of your product. Your price goes up before you've even actually sold it, just from cooking it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so, guy came up. And he just started complaining. He's like, oh, why'd your prices go up? They were, you know, fine right where they were, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, do you want to come sit in here and look at my books? Come on in. Let's let's set you down. I, I think you'll walk out of here crying. Yeah, I think people have a very skewed view of of what someone's time is worth. Well, a lot of that comes down to the fact that, like, we've been feeding into it. 
You know, we, how many times do you see people saying, oh, well, you know, if I can't be a salesman and sell it or a saleswoman, you know, I want to make sure I'm politically correct here. Uh, you know, if I'm a salesperson <laughs> selling stuff, like if I don't want to be the salesperson, I'll just reduce my cost and I'll take let I'll take less profit. But then it comes down to how long can you do that without you just selling it by the boatload in order to meet the same profit that the person that sold it a hundred percent is worth. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the, that's the tough part. So like with the, with the, with the end world article dealing with the RPGs. And even if we were to take that and expand it beyond RPGs and into board gaming, you know, you look at all the backend costs of what it takes to not only produce the game, but run a store and everything else that goes along with it. Of course, these people want you to pay full price. And just because they're doing it as a labor of love does not mean that they should do this shit for free. They still have to live. So then you look at the flip side of that, where you got the guy that did the 300 models. You know, he, he, he did the sculpts for 300 different D&D models. Now, the reason why I say that he did it the right way is because, one, it was a labor of love. He is not taking any money away from this, and for that, the guy needs to be applauded. Like, mm-hmm. if anything, I you know, if Wizards of the Coast was saying to me, sure, you go ahead and do that. You did all this work. I'd be like, that's awesome. And the moment that people started taking and printing those models at some point, you know, I would start wanting some sort of a kickback from people, even if it's in the form of a donation, because how much time did it take them to do that? You said 18 months, 18 months is what the article says, right? So it's not like he sat back on savings and did it over 18 months. He had a day job. Now we're going to assume that he probably had, you know, a family, he or she, I'm not sure who did it. This person had a family, or even if they didn't, they still had other bills they had to pay, which means they had an eight-hour, you know, an eight-hour day, nine-to-five job, possibly a part-time job as well. They're doing all of this stuff, which after a while, even though it's a labor of love, turns into work because there's deadlines. Even if you set them yourself, to where he did this for an entire community of gamers. Now, yep. you know, with that, sure, that guy did it as a labor of love, and I'm not going to say that people have not put out products that are labors of love. You know, free RPGs, things of that nature. You, you see them all the time on um, Drive Through RPG mm-hmm. and places like that, where it's like people have their RPGs out there just for like five, six bucks because they're like, you know what? I created it. It took me like thirty pages. Took me maybe a year. You know, whatever. I have a day job, very similar to how Joe does it, to where he's like, I don't plan on you know living my full life this way. Because he, but at the same time, Joe knows what it takes. If he was to take this as not a test, make it something big to where it was distributed, he would have to quit his day job. Have to. The logistics would need to match that. And so that's the thing that I, I, you know, a lot of people, we start talking about this kind of stuff and all of a sudden they're like, oh, you're all just a bunch of big corporate dick bags. We just want to play Dungeons and Dragons. It's like, you're missing the point of how this came to be so prosperous and why it's still around is because people were paying money. Yep. Oh yeah, definitely. I know I'm probably going to get some hate speech on this when I, we see the responses, but, uh, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of times where it's like, I kind of, I kind of keep my mouth shut on it and, uh, I kind of let people talk, but you know, this, this is one of those things, especially coming from, me knowing so many people in the industry and like knowing so many people on a personal level and how much work they put into it and how exactly. much passion they put into it. It's just like, it cut, it cuts me to the bone when I hear people talk like that and it's fucking disgusting. So yep. 
to uh, to tag onto this because it just occurred to me, Joe off of um, Models Workshop After Hours on the episode that I was on, they were talking about or he was talking about getting a special model made for Crystal Brush next year, and that you know, he had gotten a quote for someone. That was that was a good price. I think he ended up saying that it was like $500 for this one exclusive model. They were going to do the work to get it done, but he was still going to have to cast it and a bunch of other stuff around it. But to get the model made by a well-known artist, I forget what her name was. And and somebody else said, you know, she she's pretty good, you know, she had told him it's going to be like two or three months before I get get to you. You know, I have that much work lined up. Mm-hmm. And they went, she's pretty good. You'll probably have it back in a week. You know, she once she gets going, she's done in a week. And she normally does two models per week. And I was I was standing back and I'm like, you know, she may have given him a decent deal, but, you know, $500 for a week... It's good, but I don't, I mean, if all of your models are $500 a week, you're making a decent living, but yeah, it's still a lot of work. Yeah, and that, that's the thing is that it comes down to, again, that sculptor, what is their time worth? You know, that's that's a lot of it. Yeah. So and that's the thing that a lot of people don't get. And again, it comes down to that fact that everybody thinks that because this is the gaming industry and we're all creative types and we like sitting around tables talking about how we play D&D or Warhammer or Kings of War or, you know, board games. It doesn't matter. Pick pick your poison, pick your game, pick your narcotic as far as this hobby goes. And uh, everybody thinks that it's like this shit should come for free and it doesn't. Mm-mm. You know, look at the cost of what it takes just to put on a small local con where it's literally meant for people to get together and do nothing but play games and talk about the games they play. The person that puts on that convention, and I've heard this before at numerous, uh, you know, smaller conventions that are either something that's trying to be put on by a game store or something that's trying to be, uh, you know, put on by somebody else who's got like their own club. And there's people that said they want to come and play where they're like, oh, well, that's too expensive. Why? What makes it too expensive? Oh, well, because, you know, it's just going to be like 50 people and like the hotel that you picked is expensive and the venue itself is expensive. Why am I paying $30 for the weekend when it's not Gen Con or it's not Adepticon or it's, you know, Nova? You know, again, pick pick your convention. Like they always want to compare it to the big guys. But then they also don't think about the amount of work that it takes that person to get that stuff done. Mm hmm. And how much they have to charge per head in order to make it a possibility. Like, if anybody's ever looked into renting out a convention hotel space, it is not cheap. I can tell you, if anybody who's gone to Adepticon and pisses and moans about the cost of the ticket and the cost of them running events, go ahead and contact any of the hotels in Illinois or Schaumburg and go ahead and ask them how much it will cost you to rent one of those rooms for one day with that many tables. And uh, let me know what that price is, and then ask yourself whether or not you would do the same thing. Oh, definitely. Um, there was one con. I can't think of what podcast they were talking about it on. I think it was Countercharge. 
But they were talking about the con and the uh, the owner, and the owner, you know, has said it's been going for three or four years now. I still have not recouped my money from it. You know, right. So this guy's hemorrhaging his own money to make sure that everybody else has a good time. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know about anybody it's else shitting. listening to this, but uh, my wife is a pretty strong-willed person. She'd be pissed if I did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think my wife would just shake her head and go, "Yeah, yeah." At this point, if I did it, <sighs> kind of a par for the course at this point. Like I said, I owned a food truck. I still own it. And I've still got a bill on it. Yeah, that does suck. So, yeah, I mean, as far as something like this goes, I would like to hear the thoughts of the community. I I mean, this is a a, a big discussion. It is kind of a heady point. But I, I don't know how else you guys feel about it. I know I've kind of rambled on and ranted and done my little bit. But it's something that I've heard so many times. And, you know, it just... You know, even looking at it from Liz's point of view, where she's a commissioned painter, and, like, hearing that people have tried to, like, you know, tell her that she's not worth it, that's a slap in the face. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And, you know, there there is... You've put your work into it, and and that's the thing. It, um, you know, and, and we've started seeing that. We've started seeing people sending us stuff saying, hey, we put our time in this. We've got one, uh, the gentleman contacted us. I still haven't actually read it. I forgot that I hadn't even sent it to you yet. Um, so I... Way to go, Dick. I know, right? <laughs> I, I, I felt totally bad because he also... He also messaged us over the weekend or something like that. I, I forget when exactly. And I was like, oh, I gotta get back to him. I didn't get back to him till like, today. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Look, life <laughs> I, gets busy. People understand. And And... Totally. Um, and I still haven't read it, so I don't want to say anything about it until I at least have a little bit of a review for it. Uh, at the same time, one of our other guests who around the same time, or one of our soon-to-be guests, he's on next week, he uh, he has launched Murders and Acquisition, uh, a neat little RPG. I haven't read all the way through that one yet. I've got to read through it before he shows up on the show so that I know what I'm talking about. I did send that one to Tim, though, so he needs to read it, too. But he's yes, got I a, do. He's got a Kickstarter for it, and and that went up, I believe, yesterday. Yesterday was really a terrible day. This war of mine kicked off. A couple other Kickstarters kicked off. I said no more Shinies, and then all, all these Kickstarters all the- that I'm interested in kicked off again. I've warned you on that, Nick. What's that? You I've warned, warned you, you on that. that. <laughs> I, I've been good so far. I was actually really contemplating stopping it at Gigabytes, and Finn's going to be like, well, damn it, why didn't you when he hears this? But I was really <laughs> contemplating stopping in today on the way, and I'm like, nope. I'm not spending money. I'm not stopping in at Gigabytes. I'm not even going to walk in and say hi. Temptation is too strong. Woosa. <laughs> but uh yeah yeah 
No, uh, I definitely want to hear other people's opinions. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm terrible. I I spend money. My wife hates it, but I I don't mind spending money on something that may even just sit on my shelf and look neat. There's a few of those things. Oh, I have I have plenty of things that sit on my shelf and just look neat. <laughs> so then there was another article that um, I believe Kim you directed me to. It was from BBC Magazine. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So it is titled "Why Are Adults Still Launching Tabletop War?" Now, I read through the article, and actually, when I first sat down to read it, I, I got about three or four lines in, and I was just like, what the hell am I reading? And, you know, I started coming up with arguments, even before I read the article. So I'm like, no, gotta gotta cleanse the thoughts and just read the article for what the article is so that we can see it. And actually, it's it's a little bit older now that I, I look at the date. It was actually published in 2012. Yes. I didn't notice that the other day when you sent it to me. I guess I should have since they just went past their 30th or whatever because they just launched the new Marine. And it was talking about it being 25. But reading this article, and it focuses mostly on Warhammer and Warhammer 40k, and it goes from questioning why are adults still launching to why are grown men still launching. Yeah, I just saw that. Um, yeah. And, Interesting. And it, and it goes through, and it's talking about just some of the different things one of the first things it describes is Necrons, virtually invincible soulless metal warriors, and Dark Eldar, sadistic elfin pirates, as as its intro to what is in Warhammer 40k. And that you may have wandered into the store if you have a teenage child. And it just, it continues on. Now, at one point it says... The appeal is in collecting, assembling, painting the models, and playing the game. But that's that's it. You know, they don't they don't really get into what makes it appealing, but they also don't ever seem to me to come to a conclusion of this is why adult men or adults in general launch tabletop war. They never say or come to any conclusion, you know, they're immature or they just haven't fully developed whatever the hell, you know, they want to make as a point or anything else. <clears throat> One thing that when I got to the end and I, I was thinking about it and I'm like, why do adults launch tabletop war? In, in, in the first first game that popped in my head was chess. Chess has been around for how many centuries? Or even uh, Go or dozens upon dozens of other games where it's you facing off against somebody else. And to me, it's it strikes me as 
Why do we do it? I mean, I I derive some enjoyment from it. From the painting, from the collecting, all of those are awesome aspects. But when I sit down to play with somebody, it's now a can I win? Can I beat you? Am I mentally capable of figuring out what you're going to do and countering it to my advantage? And I've been in, uh, I'll go nicely in my corner and say I've been 50-50 on that. <laughs> it's okay. It, it may be a little bit more like 80-20 one way or the other, but I, I won't go into that one. This whole like yeah. men playing thing is just, it's still stuck in my brain. And stuff like that always nags me when it's like, oh, this is a... This is a man hobby. Well, so the interesting part is you get down about midway through the article. And they talk about a 13-year-old girl who plays. And in, in this event, she was playing a doubles match with her father. But she said that she will sometimes wear pink on the first day of a tournament just to throw the other players off. I say good for her on that. I, that's what I, I'm like, you know what? Psychological warfare, that is totally legit. I, I can get behind that. But then I was like, but would really, would wear, would a girl wearing pink facing off against me actually, you know, throw me is off? Is that really going to do, do anything? And, and I think in some ways it will, because maybe not just for me, but for anyone you do get competitive and sometimes you get certain mindsets. Not to say that women can't play or win, but sometimes guys have a hard time losing to women. I'm married, so I'm used to it. So it's totally true. Um, when I was married, it was the same exact thing for us. He hated losing to me, but he hated losing in general. It wasn't that it was just the fact that I was female. Right. Um, but there is still that, like, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. Where, where people think that guys are better at things than girls. Uh, yeah, I can, Right, I test to that, especially with my other hobbies. <laughs> I mean, I've I've still got guys that I train with that think, don't think that a woman has any right to be kickboxing or. Are you, you kidding know, me? Getting into MMA, it's mm. still a man's sport. I I mean, some of them are still kind of quoting shit that Matt Brown said a while ago, and you know, keep in mind Matt Brown said this shit back in like 2012. He was saying mm-hmm. it to be funny, but they take it seriously. Where he's like, women shouldn't be in a cage fighting unless they're topless, and I hear that crap all the time. Wow. Men are, some same... men are pigs. Notice I did say some. Not all men yeah. are pigs. Yeah. Hashtag and, and not all men. It's a very true thing. Actually the, the interesting thing is my wife my wife and I, one of the one of the only video games early on that she played was uh college double NCA. And she is from Texas and plays Texas Longhorns. I'm from 
way the hell upstate New York, and I've always rooted for Syracuse. So she used to pummel me uh, until one of the versions you could actually say, hey, just even out the teams. And so at that point, it did really become a can we play call well enough to beat the other? And, and you could see it in our um, our relationship or, you know, just while playing the game. One of us would get really sullen and angry and snappish with the other and then, you know, have a stroke of luck where we're coming back. And then, you know, the other one got mm-hmm. that way. We would just get so angry with each other while yep. playing. Yep, been there. I rearranged an entire bookshelf during a game of Malifaux because I was so angry. I needed to step away for like 20 minutes. What? Wow. I'm in there for now. Yeah. It happens. <laughs> he Oral killed like two of my guys within like the first turn. I was pissed. Oh man. Yeah. That that one that one's always rough. Yeah. Yeah, my wife does not play war games, which is probably a good thing because she's also hyper competitive. Yeah, well, and so, I mean, there is one challenge when we talk about male and female interaction and playing games, and then you say, well, I'm married and I play against my significant other, because there's a, I know you, or we know each other, and we know each other's quirks, and, and you know, there's there's definitely a whole other dynamic than if you just show up at the game shop, and it's someone you know from the game shop that you play against. Or if you'd show up to a tournament. Or you show showing up, to up a... Showing up to a tournament is a little different because you don't, you're not necessarily going to always know everyone who's there. So you don't know how they're going to act during a game. Oh, yeah. And, and I've, I've had games. I, I had a game where I was, I was pulling dice just out of my dice bag and... The guy I was playing, you know, I was rolling and I was rolling pretty well. And he started, you know, oh, your your dice are really lucky. And I, I picked up the dice bag and I just dropped it over to him. And I went, you're you're as welcome as I am to use anything in that bag. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I, I don't need to. I, you know, I, I trust you or whatever. And it's like, OK, he's like, but what brand dice are them? I'm, and they're the. They're the ones that every store carries. I forget the brand right offhand. Chessex? Chessex, yeah. And he's like, oh, well, those just have a tendency to always roll high. <laughs> wow, that's and, interesting. And, and he was he went on to say that he has scientifically, you know, continuously rolled them and proven that in the formulas, basically, they roll high. And so then I looked at him again and I went, well, you're more than welcome to use my dice then. And he's like, no, I, I like my dice. I'm like, then wh- what's wow. the issue? Wow. So now that you know that I roll, roll dice that apparently roll better, are you still going to complain when I'm getting better rolls than you are? Is clearly you are cheating like a son of a bitch. Right? Well, I do that anyways. It's just whether I get called on it or not. Remind me not to play a game with you. 
Well, isn't Malifaux <laughs> all about cheating? Yes. Yes, but there's a mechanic, not being a dick. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I did play. I played a game of Malifaux with one of my roommates. Um, one of my roommates' wife. That's not what I meant to say. With my roommate's wife, <laughs> and she, um, we were playing around, or we were playing and everything, and then she was like, she flipped the black joker, and then was like, I'm just gonna set this over here. And, like, set it to the side, joking, and then forgot to put it back in. So we did, like, two more turns, and she never had the Black Joker in her deck. So you can cheat without actually cheating in the game the way it's supposed to be done. Oh, yeah. But it's not, it's not a good thing. <laughs> so Especially not, when you take I'm... the Black Joker out. So I'm not sure the significance of the Black Joker for Malifaux. But I think any one of us, I mean, you could, you, like I said, without knowing the exact significance, you could equate that to the same thing as forgetting Black, a rule that your guys have. Black Joker is literally the worst thing that you can, um, that you can flip. And if you flip it, you fail. And there's one Black Joker in, in your deck, and there's one Black Joker in your opponent's deck and if if you are um i think she was like defending or something like that and if she had flipped the black joker then i would have actually killed one of her models but because the black joker wasn't actually in her deck that wasn't even a possibility right I would have been pissed. <laughs> well, it was her. Fr- it was her first game, and she's kind of a sweetheart, so I can't be upset. <laughs> but well, if it had can. been someone it, else, it's, it'll yes, still, I would have been you know, pissed. Simmer and stew below the surface, but a little yeah, irritated, a little annoyed. I mean, it is a friendly game, so mistakes yeah. are going to happen. Stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was teaching her how to play the game, basically. So, so maybe but it was still. the teacher's fault for not like... remembering to tell her to put it back. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it was my fault. I don't mind. Then again, she shouldn't have ever just sat it off to the side, more put it in the discard pile, but you know. Yeah. It, it's one of those, it's an honest mistake. Is it actually cheating? You never know because somebody could go, oh, oh, that really hurts. I'm just going to set this over to the side. I think we've sometimes said or done something like that. Oh, yeah, we're just going mm-hmm. to. And forgotten about it. And it and it can have implications. Or you're playing Warhammer and, you know, I know I've done it. I know I've had it done to me. You know, somebody goes, uh, yeah, they're they're this defense, or they're you know, or the this or that or something, and so you roll against whatever they told you. You you end up losing. You move on, or you don't get as many hits, or you know, take out as many models, anything like that, and you move on. Or Kings of War, you say, yeah, they're nerve nineteen twenty when actually they're eighteen nineteen or eighteen twenty instead of nineteen twenty, and you know. Oh, I I would have wavered you, you know, if I had, you know, that previous turn and you wouldn't have been able to take out my unit. You know, it's just a cascade of things. 
But sometimes when you rattle something off from your head because you think it's what it is, are you really cheating or... Yeah, I think that depends. The reason why I say that is because if you're learning a new game, you could swear up and down that something that you think is right is wrong. Or in the case of, like, Warhammer, how many facts are there out there for that damn game? You know, you might have something where it's like, oh, well, this ability is involved in, you know, the fact that came from, you know, Outer Mongolia's copy of White Dwarf. And it's like, nobody else is going to know that, but clearly you do. So you're able to pull off some weird shenanigans because of some rule that you knew about. You know, because I've done it in games where, you know, I it's an honest mistake where I'm used to a model having an ability that admittedly was probably kind of broken. And then it's like, I'm just so used to him having it that when the fact comes out, I'm still going, yeah, he's uh, got a two-up invulnerable save. And, you know, I'm not thinking anything of it. And then we don't find out until halfway through the game where half of his shit's dead. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he doesn't actually have that anymore. And, of course, then I feel like an <laughs> asshole. Exactly. You know, it, it wasn't intentional. But at the same time, like uh, Malifaux, I'll, I'll use a good example of that. The first time that they ran the Gaining Ground, and this is going back to 2010 when it was still first edition, there was actually somebody that was uh, a... Uh, I forget the term, but basically... Card counting is allowed in Malifaux as long as, like, it's not obvious. And what I mean by that is, like, if you card, card counting to a point is normal because it's like if you flipped your four kings, you know they're no longer in your deck. But what he was able to do is when he was shuffling, he was actually able to place cards back in his hand in the way that he wanted it. So he was doing like trick shuffling. And nobody caught him until it was already into the finals and everything else. And he already basically got his prize and walked away before people realized that the guy wasn't just, like, card counting or, you know, didn't, like, go, oopsie, that rule isn't actually what it is. He straight up cheated. Right. You know, so in a case like that where he's coming there knowing that he can shuffle his deck in a way to where he's always getting the red joker back in his hand every damn round, or he's, you know, all of his bad cards are in his hand and he doesn't have to worry about them popping up or something along that, that is legitimate cheating in a game when you were doing it intentionally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely all for tar and feathering someone like that. Yeah, he was. Uh, he did not come back and play any more Malifaux for the rest of the the Gen Con weekend. So, which is the other thing? Unfortunately, this hobby can, uh, you know, in a broad spectrum, elicit the worst in people. I mean, really, any hobby can. You've got those people, they've got to win. You've got those people, they don't want to spend the money on, on the rule books. Or, mm-hmm. you know, they they do want those deals. Or they'll go download the PDF or the torrent or something like that. And those people are wrong. Yes, if you're stealing someone's work, just flat out stealing, you are definitely wrong. And an asshole. And an asshole. Now, I will say I have bought some stuff off Miniature Market before. Usually their deal of the day. Which they're selling usually somewhere about 50-55% off. 
which means right. they're probably not making their money back on that. No, they're not. I don't necessarily feel bad about it because it's not constantly. It's not a lot. It's a good deal, and it starts something else off. Actually, every purchase I've made so far has then spawned many, many other purchases from my local game store to build out whatever the hell I just bought. Yeah, this is true. But yeah, so kind of getting back to this, why are adults still launching Tabletop War? I didn't feel like the article said anything is like a good thing for the hobby. They were just kind of like, hey, look at these grown-ass men playing with small toys. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, um, that that is the general feel to the end of it, is that, you know, there's grown-ass men that get together and they play, and occasionally there's someone's daughter that decides to play as well. Yeah, that sounds about right. Ugh. Some people's kids. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was pretty much the conclusion of everything that I've seen on all of the articles. Um, I don't know. It, I, you know, I kind of felt like I went on a bit of a pissy rant on the first few because it came down <laughs> to like intellectual property and whatnot. But again, like for me, it is a bit personal. Um, you know, for Liz, I know it's a bit personal. You know, on a on a different mm -hmm. spectrum, it's still dealing with the hobby, but it, it's it's her craft. Yeah. And so, you know, again, for the listeners out there, if you have any comments that you want to give on it, you know, please feel free to do so. And uh, don't feel you need to hold back. Obviously, we don't. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I feel that, like, that's going to be a common problem. Now, one of the things that my buddy Austin brought up to me as well, that there are times where I can see this, and this comes to the game store level. If you are in an area that has a game store and that game store is shit is in like, they just, they don't cater to what you want. They, they almost never seem to care. You feel uncomfortable walking in there. Take your, take your pick of your reasons to why you don't go into that game store. Other than the fact mm -hmm. that you're a cheap fucker. Okay. Let's mm -hmm. lay that out there. Other than the fact that you're a cheap fucker, <laughs> there's some reason you don't go into that game store. Like the people there don't like you. It's a, it's a click. They don't play the same games that you play and they refuse to order in product. By all means, if you have to go online and get that shit at discount, I can guarantee you at that point, any of those people that are making games that found out that you got that game at a deep discount somewhere are going to be totally happy with you getting it that way. Yeah. But at the same time, they're not going to they're not going to sit there and think that you're going to keep doing that repeatedly. If anything, they find out you did that. And if they're they're smart about it and they're nice about it. They'll direct you to their website where everything probably will be full price. Because they still want, they, at the end of the day, they still want you buying their products. That is how they make a living. Mm -hmm. But they don't, they also, the, the problem, the problem also comes down with these deep discounting is that that is when you start, if you were to discount everything across the board, let's say 90% of the industry discounted everything across the board, 30%. Everybody now has this perception that those games are only worth 70% of what they should be. So suddenly, 
you know, that's 70%. And then it turns into 50%. And then people are basically saying, just give me your stuff for free. So it's a slippery slope. Oh, yeah. It, it definitely is. And I just realized something. We totally talked about it, and I know why you now said, Nick, I want you to do the intro today. You were supposed to totally say, hey, you guys. Oh, yeah, I was. Hey, you guys. There. I did. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and well, if that anyone gets that reference, <laughs> go ahead and leave it in the comments. <laughs> we'll give you internet prizes of internet. Internet internet. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so we're getting a little long, so it is closing time for this episode. I want to thank Liz for coming on, especially last minute. It was like one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, hey. Are you busy yes. tomorrow night? You want to come on a podcast? Cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. It was fun. At first, she was like, get bent, you creeper. She totally oh. was. She was like, why are you messaging <laughs> me? I'm trying to what? paint in quiet. I was painting in quiet, but... <laughs> <laughs> Not for that reason. <laughs> No, it's been great having you on. Well, now, it's been great doing this. Awesome. Now, some of the uh, little things that we like to say, you can come and find us on iTunes for the episodes. Just look up Skirmish Supremacy. We're also on podcast.com and Skirmish Supremacy there. Also, you can find us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Skirmish Supremacy. I, for some reason, can't say the name tonight. We are Twitter at Skirmish Supreme. If you start tweeting at me, I will promise I will start replying back to you. I've just been terribly horrible at actually running the Twitter lately. And I don't have the Twitter account, so I can't help with a damn well, I can send you the Twitter account. I mean, jeez. Oh, no, you got that. You just barely even got into your email, which is... Shut your face. It's Tim at SkirmishSupremacy.com. <laughs> I'm Nick at SkirmishSupremacy.com. So you can send your hate mail there. Or we also have a group <laughs> where you can really put it. Put all of your hate. It's um, Skirmish Supremacy Street Team on Facebook. We're trying to build it up. If you guys join in, feel free to share out our posts with all your friends for the episodes. Help spread the word. Spam it all over Facebook, even if it gets you kicked out of groups. Surprisingly, I don't think it has actually gotten me kicked out of any groups yet. Oh, you're not trying hard enough. I've, probably not. I've actually only had <laughs> one group that goes, hey, can we tone it down a little bit? Or, you know, like, not at all. Unfortunately, that was a local group for here in Atlanta. Yeah, they don't count. <laughs> all right, Tim, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I ranted on quite a bit. I'm expecting quite a bit of hate mail after this one, so I'm uh, just looking forward to reading it. Well, once they see your profile picture, they'll they'll quiet right down. They'll be scared. Yeah, they'll probably. Come, come kick him in the face. I will. 
<laughs> All right, Liz, do you have anything? Um, no, just come and join the Hobby Hangout group on Facebook. And Liz, I promise one of these nights I will get on there. It just has to be like on a night where I don't have to wake up so damn early in the morning. It's totally okay. I haven't been on a hobby hangout in a few days. So honestly, I I have been on there so much that I wasn't sure she even joined them. That's why I invited her on the podcast. <laughs> well, okay, I'm like, I'll to meet be you fair, eventually. To be fair, I was out of town for two weeks. So I didn't the internet in the middle of nowhere isn't great. No, I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I definitely know that the internet's not not great. Yeah. All right. So thank you, everybody. Have a good night. See ya. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skirmish Supremacy. To see more of the antics that Nick and I do, you can check us out on Facebook at Skirmish Supremacy. We also have Twitter, which we can be reached at Skirmish Supreme, because apparently Skirmish Supremacy does not fit in Twitter. And if you want to email us directly, you can reach us at tim at skirmishsupremacy.com or nick at skirmishsupremacy.com. Thanks for listening.